0: Good morning, everyone. And welcome to Julius Bear's Moving Markets podcast. It's Thursday, the 8th of June, and my name is Helen Freer. So, we had a surprise interest rate hike from the Bank of Canada yesterday. On today's show, I'll be talking about this and more market news with my colleague, Bernadette Anderko. On commodities, we also have Carsten Menker with us this morning, and I'll be talking to him about iron ore. And finally, I'll be speaking to Nicola Jordan to get an update from our CIO office. But first up is Bernadette. Good morning, Bernadette. Good morning, Helen. So Lucia mentioned in the podcast yesterday that all eyes would be on the Bank of Canada yesterday afternoon. And it's just as well that they were, really. Their move surprised markets, didn't it?
1: Indeed, it did, Helen. The Bank of Canada joined the Reserve Bank of Australia in the Let's Restart Rate Hikes campaign. They raised their policy rate by 25 basis points and announced that they're continuing with quantitative tightening to combat stubbornly fast consumer price gains. Uh, This latest hike saw the markets selling sovereign bonds. Shorter maturity, US Treasury yields are close to their highest since March, while their Australian equivalents have jumped to levels last seen more than 10 years ago. Um, Overnight in the US, all three major stock indices ended mixed. The S&P 500 was down for the second day of the week off uh, 0.38%. The Nasdaq composite fell 1.29% as it had its worst day since April, but the Dow Jones industrial average rose 0.27%. I think market participants and investors alike will be focusing on US inflation data next week now, uh, which should hopefully provide further clues on the Federal Reserve's policy path.
0: And how have markets in Asia reacted to the news?
1: Well, Treasury yields were a little changed in Asia this morning, with the 10-year just below 3.8%, up about 10 basis points this week. Um, And as a mark of how nervous investors are, government bond yields rose in India, despite the central bank there keeping rates unchanged. Um, Indian shares opened moderately higher in their trading hours, putting the Sensex benchmark on course for a fresh record high after a recent rally. Uh, Japanese 10-year bond yields rose a couple of basis points. This seems to have been on the back of the news that Japan's economy grew annualised 2.7% in Q1 this year, expanding further than earlier estimates of 1.6%, which were made last month. And in fact, economists have been expecting to see growth of 1.9%. The Japanese yen strengthened to 139.98 against the US dollar shortly after the release, uh, whilst the Nikkei 225 rose 0.17% and the Topix was up uh, 0.2%. Quarter on quarter, the economy expanded by 0.7%, which uh, beat estimates of 0.5%. What about with commodities? Anything to report there? Not a lot, Helen. Um, Gold advanced by 0.4%. Oil was little changed. And uh, Bitcoin is uh, hovering around $26,400.
0: Looking to the day ahead, then, what's coming up data wise?
1: Well, we'll have uh, Eurozone GDP coming out, Helen, as well as US wholesale inventories and initial jobless claims. And just uh, to take a look at the futures board, uh, it looks like European markets are set to open lower.
0: That's it from me. Thank you very much, Bernadette, for the roundup this morning. Now, Carsten, great to have you on today's show. We're talking about iron ore today. Iron ore prices have been on quite a roller coaster lately. What's behind these moves?
2: Yeah, good morning, Helen. Uh, Indeed. So prices initially were lifted by hopes that China's reopening recovery would also be accompanied by recovery in the property sector, which did not materialise. So, consequentially, prices dropped by around 30% from this year's highs. They regained some lost ground more recently, rising towards 100 tonne dollars per tonne on hopes that the current cooling of the economy would provoke a policy response by the government. And here, infrastructure investments and property market stimulus measures come to mind first, not only because of their economic relevance in China, but also due to the direct impact of such measures.
0: And do you think these hopes will materialise?
2: Well, infrastructure investments have already been propped up during the past few months. But the government remains very, very reluctant to provide broad-based stimulus to the property market. So we believe this reflects demographic realities, China's shrinking population and the slowing urbanization. Uh, Put simply, in the future, there will be less demand for, for apartments. And this is why, when it comes to property market policies, the government's focus is firmly on fostering completions of existing projects rather than starting a new construction boom. And we see this as a very sensible strategy, even though it means that steel consumption in China and thus the demand for iron ore from the steel mills will remain muted for the foreseeable future. So all in all, these hopes are rather unlikely to materialize in our view.
0: Now, earlier this week, China reported its monthly set of trade data for May. What insights did this give us for iron ore and steel?
2: Uh, Iron ore imports in May slowed seasonally. Uh, So there's a little bit of bad news, but we're still trending above the five-year range, which is good news. Um, That said, we take this as a sign of restocking as both inventories at ports and at steel mills have been declining as of late. And if we broaden the scope a little bit, uh, we saw that exports of Chinese steel products were running at the highest levels in more than five years, which actually underpins our assessment of domestic demand weakness.
0: So all in all, then, it sounds like you're saying don't chase the rally. Is that right?
2: Yeah, no, absolutely. So uh, we feel very comfortable with our established views. Uh, The Chinese property market is unlikely to stage a swift recovery, which will dampen both iron ore and steel demand in the medium to longer term. So as a result, uh, any longer-lasting price recovery still seems very unlikely in our view. And we believe that investors should not chase the rally. Um, they should also not add any other INR-related exposure to the portfolios either, such as mining companies. Great. Thanks
0: a lot, Carsten. Very interesting to get an update on this. And let's finish off then with you, Nicola. Thank you for joining us this morning as well. So what's your assessment of the current mood in markets?
3: Yeah, good morning, Helen. Well, to be honest, we are quite astonished that so many market participants, especially on the sell side, still remain stubbornly bearish. I mean, this week we tried to make sense of the bear case and looked at it from different angles. I won't go into details, but we concluded that with a June rate hike in the US most certainly off the table, the end of quantitative tightening closer than expected, solidly financed private sector balance sheets, resilient corporate profitability and excess savings still supporting private consumption, it is very hard to remain convincingly bearish for the next couple of months. If we take a closer look at the development of the S&P 500, we see that, at least according to theory, it is already back in bull market territory, meaning it rose by more than 20% since its most recent trough, which was back in October last year.
0: That all sounds fairly positive then. So what does this mean in terms of the probability of a US recession, which you said increased significantly a couple of weeks ago?
3: Well, the risks are certainly still there. With regards to a credit crunch, we see that areas such as commercial real estate and private credit are still increasingly being challenged with tighter monetary policy, but not in the context of raising concerns about widespread systemic risks. Additionally, the events earlier this year that did raise legitimate concerns about the potential emergence of global contagion, particularly in the banking sector, were quickly resolved or simply did not materialize to the extent initially expected.
0: I have to ask then, does that mean that the more defensive stance in portfolios wasn't actually warranted?
3: Well, good questions, but I wouldn't say so actually. If we look at our current asset allocations, we are still overweight in equities, meaning that we still capture the upside potential very nicely. The trades we did in the last couple of weeks were mostly to strengthen our portfolio construction by moving into higher quality segments of the market. For example, we moved out of the US high-yield bond market in order to reflect the risk of increased default rates due to higher financing costs. And finally, yes, we also slightly increased our cash quota, but the main reason here is that it gives us some flexibility to act quickly if interesting opportunities arise. That's it from my side. Back to you, Helen.
0: Great. Thank you very much, Nicola. So that is all for today. Thanks very much to today's guests and thank you all for tuning in. If you enjoyed today's show, don't forget to subscribe and please also leave us a review on whichever platform you like to listen on. We would love to hear your feedback. And do join us again tomorrow when I'll be speaking to more of our colleagues, including Tim Gagey, who will give us all the latest on currency markets. Until then, have a great day, everyone, and bye for now. The information and opinions expressed in this podcast constitute marketing material and are not the result of independent financial or investment research. Please refer to www.juliasbear.com forward slash legal forward slash podcasts for further other important legal information.
1: Für unsere deutschsprachigen Zuhörer. We would also like to make you aware of Marktanalysen und Gespräche.
0: A monthly podcast in German where Julius Baer experts discuss some of the latest market
1: developments.
0: We share our key research and insights on today's ever-changing economic landscape in German. Search for Marktanalysen und Gespräche on your favorite podcast player.